Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Awkward Adventures of a College Graduate. And we are doing the alpha, how you started. And this is a special episode. I'm super excited. It's the first episode back for the year. And also I have a guest in the building. I'm super Hi. excited. I'm going to let her introduce herself. Um, but before I do that, I just want to give her flowers. She is hilarious. I listen to her podcast. They be cracking me up. Um, also getting people together with their life advice and column and stuff like that. I sent a couple letters in. Um, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but without further ado, I want to let our guest introduce herself. So at this time, would you like to introduce yourself and tell the people about who you are? Hi, um, I'm Tally. Uh, I am one half of the podcast Jokes on You Pod, which you can mm-hmm. find on all the streaming platforms. Uh, I am a stand-up comedian in the city of Atlanta. I'm also a young black professional. Um, so that's my life. Duality. We love that. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited to be here on um, this podcast today. So thank y'all for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. So you kind of like introduce yourself, but I think the first part of just this interview and just the conversation is how did you start doing comedy? So like I was introduced to your comedy and through you through the podcast and everything like that. And I started seeing clips and I'm like, she's funny as hell, you know, ultimately. So like what made you do that? Like what made you jump into it? Were you always funny? Like how did you go into or get into this space of comedy? Um, at the risk of sounding like an asshole, I think I've always been funny. Um, but I've never really shit. <laughs> I've never really considered comedy as uh, like a younger person. Um, I mm-hmm. grew up um, going to performing arts school. I did musical mm-hmm. theater. I did creative writing. Same. Oh, period. Um, but I never considered comedy. Um, I went through a really bad heartbreak. A really mm-hmm. bad heartbreak. Um, and you know, not to get too dark, but like I was like, I'm gonna get the fuck out of here. Like I'm, I'm gonna kill myself. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. This is not what I signed up for. Right. We're, we're from the exit stage left. So I was making these super dark jokes to my best friend, mm-hmm. Rodney. Hello. Hey, Rodney. I'm going to make him listen to this. And um, super just dark jokes. And he was like, you need to get on stage. This is hilarious. He's like, and I'm not trying to laugh at your pain, but I'm 100% laughing at your pain. Please go do stand-up. And then I was like, I'm not going to do stand-up. Like, what am I, the court jester? I'm not about to go be fooling for these folks. And then he called me the P-word. Which is just about the easiest way to make me accept a challenge. So he called me the P word, and I was like, I, my mama did not raise no bitch at all. So I wrote me some jokes. It was the most nerve wracking thing I ever did. I think I went mm-hmm. through like two notebooks on the first go round writing jokes, mm-hmm. and my living room was scattered with balls of paper. And then I got up on that stage, and it was the most liberating thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, and I, at the time I couldn't afford therapy. Mm. And so I was like, well, this is the next best thing. And it has been. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, thank and you for sharing that. There's that. Too. What'd you say? I said my parents are funny. So there's that too. That's okay. Yeah. That's actually funny. That's how I was going to get into the next part, part of it. But I just want to say we love dark comedy. We do love dark humor here. I have a whole episode dedicated to just telling some dark shit. Um, <laughs> We love it and appreciate it. And I think there's a there's an honesty and we'll probably get into it later that comes with dark humor that people don't realize. And it's just like if I'm able to find healing through it, you know, it may not make you comfortable, but it is my truth and it's my my uncomfortable truth, you know. Yeah. So we definitely And then also if I'm uncomfortable with it, why not make other people uncomfortable with it too? Right, exactly. Why am I gonna bear this way by myself? Especially it's like, mm, you know you're not supposed to be laughing at this. Let me see. 
<laughs> Those are my favorite kinds of jokes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you said um, you kind of always been funny. You said you had funny family. So um, what did that look like in terms of being encouraged by families to do this? You also said you went to a performing arts school. Mm-hmm. So were they, they encouraging like you in terms of like the arts and stuff like that? Or when you did start comedy, was it like, a, oh, okay, we can kind of see this. We all are funny. Or was it kind of like, Comedy, what what does that kind of look like for you in terms of that process? Well, with my parents, I, I grew up uh, in a broken home, I guess. Uh, my mm-hmm. mother and father, I don't ever remember them le- living in the same house, but they mm-hmm. are such quick-witted people. And to communicate with them, you kind of have to be funny because it's a lot of telling right. jokes about each other. It's a lot of telling jokes about other people. It's just constant. Like, Playing the dozens almost. The dozens back and forth. So mm-hmm. I learned at a very early age how to talk shit. I, and that my mother, my father, they don't do it in the same way. But you can kind of tell that, like, that's why y'all are together. You can kind of <laughs> tell, like, that's why y'all had a baby, because y'all are both some silly motherfuckers. And that is how y'all ended up in bed. There is no other reason besides that and their taste in music as to why y'all should have ever, y'all shouldn't even shook hands. So that that is what I believe put them together. Um, and my grandmother's funny. My grandfather, everybody's hilarious. Mm-hmm. My brother's funny. I surround myself with funny friends. So I've just, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I hate people who don't have a sense of humor. Like, get your dry ass from around me. <laughs> I just don't want to hear it. Um, right. And then my school, they didn't, they, my teachers didn't think I was funny because mm-hmm. I was disrupting class. I had a couple teachers that would like laugh at my jokes, you know, like, because like, I'm as an adult now, like when I meet a funny kid and they say something inappropriate, I have to stifle my laughter. So mm-hmm. a couple of my teachers were like that. But what my performing arts school taught me, I went to high school mm-hmm. for performing arts. And what it taught me was um, work ethic. I absolutely mm-hmm. want to be the best every time I get on stage, every single time I get on stage, because we didn't have sports in my school. So our competition was being the best in a musical. If you were the lead, being the best lead they had seen in four years. If you, mm-hmm. even if you played the the oboe, like every mm-hmm. time you stepped on the stage or you were in the spotlight, you were supposed to give it your all. And I've carried mm-hmm. that with me. And also I did theater at Alabama State University. Mm-hmm. And that shit is like the theater army. Ooh. We were up till two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning rehearsing those shows. Ooh. Like, Lord. and the spirit there is like, until you get it right. Like, you're not leaving this room until you get it right. So even when I write now, when I have a show, I will stay up as late as it takes for me to get my, my blocking right, for me to mm-hmm. deliver my punchline and get my tone correct. So I'm really grateful for those experiences. I think I'm going to say that a lot because I've been feeling a lot of gratitude lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful that that was an experience for me. Well, we thank you. Well, I, I I hope to hear more of it. You know, if there's any gems that get dropped here, we are all for it, you know. But I, I thank you for sharing that experience. And it's just like, you know, it's always funny hearing people say that. It just shows that, you know, where you come from definitely affects it um, in terms of your, your comedy and different things like that. And it's like, hey, if there's a kid out there, somebody that's just being funny and people don't like it, keep being funny. Keep doing you. Yeah. Don't be no different. Don't anybody stifle it. I want, I want people to, when they're called the class clown, mm-hmm. I want them to, like, go forward in that direction. Like, mm-hmm. if so, if kids knew that being a goddamn fool was a job, then mm-hmm. their whole lives would change. Like, if they knew there was an avenue, like, I can do stand-up, and it's one right. of the performances that you really don't see kids in. Like, you see kids mm-hmm. in piano lessons and voice lessons. There's not a lot of comedy lessons for kids. And if they knew that, mm-hmm. maybe they wouldn't be cutting up down to the algebra class. If they exactly. knew that, that was something they could do professionally. 
Exactly, and they would have a better way to like have an outlet for those those moments where they're cutting up or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of talked about how you got started, you know, you know, your family and your origin story a little bit. So you were in the comedy space, right? And so when entering the comedy space, I think there are some misconceptions that we have. Um, were there some misconceptions that you were that were proven wrong, or was there something that as you came into the comedy space that you were like almost surprised um, when you found it out? Because I know like there are some people that are like, oh, I've heard comedians are mean. I've heard this. I've heard that. Was any of that like, oh, that's not it, it or completely like how it is at all? And were there certain um, things that you were like, mm, I don't wasn't expecting this. So one of the things that I learned very quickly, I'm a writer. I usually have to mm-hmm. write all my jokes. Mm-hmm. Not many people can do comedy off the top of their head. Like you, mm-hmm. think, you can think that you're funny. Write your damn jokes because you are going to get up there with this half idea and take it up there and think you can riff off of it. And that takes mm-hmm. so much time to be able to do. And then even when you are able to do it, you probably shouldn't do it as mm-hmm. often. I know maybe right. two comedians who can get on stage with no material and really rock it out. And they've been mm-hmm. doing comedy for years. Um, a misconception for myself when I got started, like comedy is like any other workplace and you look at it because it's such a jovial thing and you're like, you know, this is going to be a fun time. This is going to be a pure, wholesome thing. It's not. You have workplace creeps like you would have at your regular office. You have comedians that want you to sleep with them to get stage time. Like you have that creep at your corporate office who wants to diddle all the girls. Like, all those things are real. You have that old Mm -hmm. black lady who wants to keep all the young black girls coming in down because she's used to being, like, the black lady favorite. You have that, too. Like, all the things that are Mm -hmm. happening in regular workspaces are happening in comedy. Um, And I just didn't believe that that was a thing. A tool you have to keep sharp. Like, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to do one show every six months and nail Mm -hmm. it. Like, we all take breaks, but for you to keep getting better, you have to keep stepping on stage. Mm-hmm. You have to. Because I always believe that there's somebody outworking you. Like, right now, I'm not doing as many shows as I would like because I'm mm-hmm. taking a rest, and I've been taking a rather long rest. But, like, it's people who are out in these comedy streets six nights a week mm-hmm. trying to perfect what they do. So just keep that in mind when you're growing your when you're growing your skill and you're growing your presence. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, kind of speaking on that point, my next question is, you know, you kind of talked about the space. Who are your influences in comedy? Are there any folks that you aspire that you want to be more like or people you want to kind of like work with? So if you had like a top five, because I won't give you 10, what does that look like for you? Who are those influences? Who who do we want to put out there? So if they heard it, because, you know, it's one day the podcast going to take off. Mm-hmm. They heard, Tally want to work with me. Who is it? Um, so my biggest influence, um, comedically, well, my two biggest influences comedically, mm-hmm. rest in peace, Bernie Mac. I thought he was mm-hmm. so funny. My favorite brand of comedy is people being outraged by things. And I think that Bernie Mac being outraged by small experiences was mm-hmm. just the most hilarious thing to me. Cause I'd be mad. So to take a small situation that happened to you and blow it up and make it so funny mm-hmm. and so like otherworldly and unreal is so crazy. Right. Um, Cat Williams was the first comedian whose material I had continued access to. My mother mm-hmm. had the DVDs and, um, I wore them out. Um, Pimp Chronicles is still mm-hmm. one of my favorite comedy specials and his tone of voice. I'm not a super physical comedian, but I try to make up for it in my tone and the way that I tell stories. Mm-hmm. And he's an excellent storyteller. 
He's an he excellent. He's just so funny. He knows how to captivate and own an audience. I don't mm-hmm. like comedians who can't own their audience. Like everything right. shouldn't have to be punchline, punchline, punchline. Mm-hmm. You should be able to hold an audience, and they kind of be hooked on what you're saying. So I think that that's mm-hmm. really great. Um, so those were the two comedians I really aspired to be like. Um, all the kings of comedy had a heavy impact on my experience as just mm-hmm. a young person telling jokes or talking to people. Mm-hmm. I kind of modeled my speech pattern after a lot of the jokes that they did on that special. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I talk so much shit about Steve Harvey, which I don't know, man, if I ever meet him, I'm going to have to do some fast deleting <laughs> on the Twitter. Um, just- I, lo- I love Steve Harvey and his what your ass say. I love all of that so much, that whole vibe. Right, right. And he seems like a person you could have a drink with. You might have to leave. He does. He might start talking about some bullshit, but he right, seems like a person right. you could kick it with. Um, mm-hmm. I actually met, I met, before I ever thought about comedy, I met, um, why was I going to say Samuel L. Jackson? What? It's Cedric the Entertainer. And mm-hmm. I met Chris Tucker. Wow, and meeting both of those people in person by accident, wasn't even on mm-hmm. the, I was at a show, they were just in public. They were funny then. And mm-hmm. that kind of inspires me to always be funny. Not like in a way you can't take a day off. Right, right. Say the things that you want to say. I could tell that Cedric the Entertainer says whatever pops into his mind. And it's mm-hmm. still kind. It's still funny. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's one more. And I'm a, I'm over talking on this point because I have a lot of. Oh, no, please. And I hate that um, there aren't more female comedians that have influenced mm-hmm. me. But I think it's just because I wasn't super exposed to it. Like, oh, Monique. Mm-hmm. Monique. Monique. I was going to say it. If Our auntie. If I if they ever do a movie about Monique's life, mm-hmm. I will do whatever I have to to play that role. I love mm-hmm. Lisa Monique, and she pisses me off behind mm-hmm. that in the airport with the bonnets and all that foolishness that she be talking mm-hmm. about. She be trying to make right. us make us eat meat made out of play doh. But I love me some Monique. Okay, you can't take away her pen game. One thing about her, she, she gonna own that stage. She writes. Mm-hmm. She writes some jokes. And what's my other one? There's an Italian comedian. His name is Sebastian Maniscalco. And that fool is a fool. And he is a very physical comedian as well. And he's like an outrage comic as well. All of his mm-hmm. his titles are like, aren't you embarrassed? And, you know, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Like, what are we doing here? He's always like mad. That's his whole brand. Right. And he's a very, very physical comedian as well. And I've taken a liking to him after I started doing comedy. So I knew about him after I started, but he's really great. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. It's always interesting whenever I have these conversations to hear who people are inspired by, especially if it's somebody who I've had the pleasure of like, I like, like I watch your like, you know, listen to your podcast. I've seen like bits and pieces of your comedy. And it's just always interesting to see like how those correlations happen and like who this person's influenced by and like what will happen because I feel like this is a, a good reference point for so like one day when you do take off, you know, it's like, oh, she talked about it here. And she said, here, I'm going to work with this person, I'm going to work with that person, I'm going to do these things. So it's always just cool hearing that and seeing what that becomes. So um, if y'all are listening to the podcast, <laughs> um, she wants to work with you. And when y'all do Monique's biopic, um, she has to play her. You know, yeah. she, she yeah, has I to do I just got to delete my tweets where I'm like, oh, brother, this guy stinks about the whole bonnet <laughs> thing. That really pissed mm-hmm. me off. She made me right. mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like she understands. <laughs> yeah, she seems like the type of person that you can let her know that she's pissed mm-hmm. you off. 
and then mm-hmm. she gets it. She's also a Sagittarius, so she mm-hmm. makes sense to me because one thing a Sagittarius gonna do is say some wrong shit and stand up in it. So the fact that she refuses to walk it back and she's just really like balls to the wall about this bonnet shit, mm-hmm. you got it, Auntie. You got it, and I'm not gonna argue. Mm-hmm. She's stuck on it. She's stuck yeah. on it. <laughs> I'm going to be mad about some dumb shit when I get old, too. I feel like it's what you're old. I feel like, just a quick side note, it's what you're old when you get older. You're able to do that. You've you've paid your dues, so if I want to be mad about some shit, I'm allowed to. What's who's going to be mad at I'm already there. I saw a birthday dress on Twitter. Let me tell you something. This girl's puss lips was just flapping in the wind when she was getting in and out of that car for her birthday. That's it, girl. You are wearing a brawny paper towel. But and, and I, I hate I hate to body shame and clothes shame the girls. But why why is your your good fillet of fish out here with no draws on? And they got invisible draws. You could have put the invisible draws on. But I, I see I see your your Grand Canyon, baby. And and she would probably tell me to shut the fuck up. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, she's enjoying herself. It, when, she'll be happy when she gets pneumonia of the vagina. But anyway, you're moving supposed, on. You're supposed <laughs> to have your puss out when you're in your early twenties. It's fine. I'm just not there anymore. Yeah, but definitely, definitely. Um, <laughs> so we're going to switch gears a little bit. And so, sorry, I have to reset. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. And so this next question is just dealing with intersectionalities and different part, parts and like how it kind of relates to your comedy. So both as a black woman and a queer woman, how has your intersectionalities affected how you go about your comedy, even how you've been viewed in a comedy space? So I know like I've heard on your podcast and just in general in the space in the last couple of years, the concept of punching down has come up, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, what's the appropriate joke versus what's the not appropriate joke. And so there's also this marriage of like what is going too far and what comedians are able to do versus what they're not able to do. So how, you know, having those two intersectionalities, how has that affected you and how you go about um, your art? I try to, you know, the only people I really beat up in my podcast is like straight men. And, you know, also, like, in my personal life and on stage. And I do as you, that. As you should. As I should. And I do that to bring attention to the fact that, like, the patriarchy is negatively harming all, mm-hmm. every woman. The patriarchy is negative, negatively harming every woman. And mm-hmm. being loud about it is one of the ways, one of the ways that you can make mm-hmm. a difference. Um, but mm-hmm. other than that, I try not to talk about people in my comedy. I try to, like, really branch out and like mm-hmm. zoom out about stuff but um people kind of just haphazardly find out that I'm kind of gay you know like you mm-hmm. really got to listen to the podcast or you just mm-hmm. got to like talk to me about something and I'll be like yeah I went on a date with so and so and they'll be like that's a girl name and I'm like yeah I'm kind of gay <laughs> yeah. um and it's not that I'm hiding it it's just mm-hmm. that like I want being by to not be a talking point like we don't give all of this to straightness, you know. Like mm-hmm. I should, I, it's not important for. It's important to me for my identity to be a proud queer person. But like mm-hmm. I don't need to like wear my fucking sandwich board and cowbell and go about exactly. saying I'm bi because mm-hmm. you don't walk up on me and telling me your your shit. You know what I'm saying? Like oh I'm exactly. straight. Like duh, you're wearing chinos. Okay, what are we talking about here? Um. Exactly. So I really don't talk about that in my comedy a lot. And, like, because I don't go on many, like, mm-hmm. bad gay dates, it's no material there because it's mm-hmm. just really great. Like, all my bad dates are these niggas. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank and you for sharing that. Now, I was just... Oh, sorry. 
Go ahead. I forgot a part. No, what are you going to say? No, I'm saying no punch, that's perfect. Punching down means you're not funny. Um, and I'm not going to get into any specifics because I have a bad habit of talking about famous people and I'm probably like ruining bags as I like go along, but I care more about speaking truth to power than like money. It's pe- probably people I wouldn't work with anyway. Um, but right. you just should not have to beat up on folks to get a laugh. Mm-hmm. I don't need laughs at the expense of, of disenfranchised people. I don't. I, I mm-hmm. just, you already got enough shit going on why would i fuck with you even if i think that it's funny it's probably fucking not it just isn't so Mm -hmm. i just i do like stereotypes now stereotypes are fun i did a joke Mm -hmm. about asian people where i i said you know people talk about you know asian people bad being bad drivers and they get really upset about it but like Mm -hmm. have you ever had an asian uber driver that you enjoyed and people did not like that but I am re- like really into stereotypes, the fun ones that are not super harmful, because we do mm-hmm. do these things. Like black people are loud. I mm-hmm. enjoy talking about that. That's mm-hmm. very funny. But I don't. I try not to punch down because that that's stupid. I don't like it. Yeah. Right. I definitely agree with you, and I thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to like you know bring that up because I wasn't sure like how that's affected you in certain spaces because, as we know, and I'll just say overarching in entertainment and in certain spaces, it is difficult to have certain intersectionalities and still take the stage. But I also know that with those intersectionalities, it makes you a little bit more mindful of how you go about like existing and doing things because you wouldn't want that to happen to you and so forth. And I appreciate it. And also I love what you said about, yes, just because I'm queer doesn't mean anything as a fellow queer person myself. It's like, okay, I am, I'm bi. So what? Anyway, I'm still best podcast out here like what does that look like you know and it's really none of your fucking business it's, it's none of, and not you know? even like a secret so i definitely appreciate yeah <sighs> what'd you say no i said not even like a secret but just like why why are we talking about this like what do you what do you want mm-hmm. exactly it doesn't and it doesn't add oftentimes when folks bring that up it's just not adding anything to the conversation that's of value or you know validity unless it's something specifically like dealing with that right and everybody's a little gay, so I really don't need to ask, you know what I'm saying, about your sexuality, because I know everybody's a little gay. So that's just what it is, and I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. We've all, we've all exactly. sucked a little dick. It's fine. And we've all licked a little box. It's cool. It's all great. It's all there. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's all there, and it's all queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want that shirt. I want that on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Yeah, and I appreciate you talking about that. And yeah, it was a point that I was going to make, but I like want to be mindful of time. And there's, I want to talk on another point, which I'm excited to talk about, and I think is a good segue. So um, not only are you a comedian, but you also have a podcast. So as she said earlier, she is one of the co-hosts of the Jokes on You podcast um, that you do with another comedian. What has that experience been like overall? How do you differentiate yourself differentiate yourself from other podcasts because right now we already know that there are a lot of podcasts out here that get a bad rap for being problematic or lacking in value because it's just like three friends got together and got some podcast equipment and now they're talking about the same old shit that they talk about on twitter every single Mm -hmm. fucking week and everything like that so how do you continue to add value to it of course after talking about your experiences you know Um, with this podcast well first y'all go listen to Please go listen to the podcast. Jokes on you, pie on all the platforms. Burr, 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 burr. But um, I want to say, first of all, we started mm-hmm. with three. Um, There are not four, three dreams. There are mm-hmm. four. Uh, we started with uh, mm-hmm. Lauren and Mel and I. 
And um, we're not above, you know, yeah, and yes. never have been above talking about the same shit we're always talking about on Twitter. I think mm-hmm. what was so special about it is that, like, everyone's welcome, but you can tell we're doing this for Black women, for Black women to have mm-hmm. a safe space, especially Black comedians, which is a very niche group, but, like, to have it a space, safe space to come listen. Like, we wanted it to feel like not that you were standing outside of a friend group listening to them talk, but that you were mm-hmm. a part of this friend group and mm-hmm. you were kind of interacting with the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just wanted to feel like safe and snuggly and warm for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that makes the podcast unique is we don't lie. Like we don't mm-hmm. get on there. We are at raw and not just raw for shock value, but we are just as vulnerable as we can possibly muster yes. on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think that that means a lot. Um, and then it had me hard. ready to cry earlier with the episode today. I was like, y'all are real vulnerable. I said, hold on. I was like, we. It was, it's a lot. And it can be not necessarily emotionally taxing, but sometimes I leave the studio and I'm like, fuck me. I wasn't prepared mm-hmm. to say any of that today. Mm-hmm. This was supposed right. to be a nice surface level, superficial mm-hmm. day. And now I'm mm-hmm. in tears. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I think that that's a huge part of it as well. Just being really vulnerable mm-hmm. Um, and being really truthful. And even now, like I was talking to Mel the other day, like we feel like we're in a rut. Like we need new things to talk about. We need new formats because we are having the same conversations, but we started this mm-hmm. podcast in 2020. And so we right. aged to the point where we can speak about things again and it'll be a whole different mm-hmm. perspective. So I think I that that's keeping it fresh too. But um, yeah, it's it's been awesome. And I get to, it's almost like I'm guaranteed to talk to my friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, because we do this podcast right. together. Because it, it, if we weren't doing this podcast, it might be a minute before we speak because we're both very busy people. So right. it's nice to know, like, oh, man, on Tuesday, I'm a female. So that's right. nice as well. Definitely, definitely. First off, shout out to Lauren. Shout out to Mel. You yes. know, definitely appreciate them. Um, add a lot of value and funny to the podcast. And I, I definitely see that. And I think that's the thing that makes your podcast so special is you see – the intentionality behind it and you can see that it's pure in form of like you know we're doing this for somebody besides ourselves of course you know it'll help us in our careers but it's also we want to do this and we're saying the things that others aren't going to say you know and I think that's what separates it. and even just the way that y'all interact with your fans and stuff like that you know on Twitter I'd be tweeting out everybody be tweeting out and stuff like that and it's like hey how's it going or whatever or just like recanting some of the funny stories and stuff like that so I hope that y'all know that you know we appreciate what y'all are doing out That's here as a fellow podcaster. I get it. I do. Cause there'd be some weeks it'd be like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start crying right now. I'll do it. <laughs> uh, I gotta, Ooh. we gotta, I gotta record again. No, I'm, right, right, right. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm a professional. I put on a clean right. show. I'm here. Let's do it. I'm ready. Right. Yeah. Right. Right, but yes, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, but um, I I love the podcast. I appreciate it, and I definitely want y'all to check it out. But I thank you for giving for talking about that experience. And so, um, when you started the podcast, and I feel like yeah, you talked about this, you know, within a podcast. But I'm I want other people to hear, like fans who may be hearing this for the first time or new fans. Um, did you ever envision it getting this large, or like you know, taking off like this, or did you have like a thought process of what you would be doing with it, or creating it, or the impact? Um, no, I didn't think this at all. I, um, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. It was one of those things where it's like, um, 
I'm doing this with my friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, we put this thing together. Oh, let's have a podcast. And granted, we weren't all super close at the time. But when we mm-hmm. all met, it was very much like, let's get into it. So I didn't. I don't really think I imagined it to be anything um, because I obsess over expectations. If I set an expectation mm-hmm. for something and it doesn't pan out the way that I thought it would, I get mm-hmm. devastated. So I've kind of trained myself over the last six or seven years to go into mm-hmm. things just wanting to do my best and not having any expectations. Because mm-hmm. for me, not meeting an expectation that I set for myself means that I failed. And that's not necessarily right, of course. Of course. Right. So I think I went into it like I know that I'm doing this with people who are going to give it their best. I'm going to give it my best. This is also something I've never done before. So if I don't succeed, then it really doesn't matter. You know, a lot of people go through three and four podcasts before they really hit the mark. So the fact that Mm -hmm. this podcast has done what it's done and we have way more room to grow. But the Mm -hmm. fact that this podcast has done what it's done and we have like a real grassroots fan base Mm-hmm. It's really remarkable. So I didn't right. go into it with a lot of expectations. Um, and I think that was for the best because I'm not wrapped up good mentally. So that was great. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. No. Um, and I think, like you said, just speaking on it, is that a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people go through three or four podcasts. That podcast run is real. The fact that y'all made it past that third or fourth episode, I forget statistically what it is is impressive and even just to be able to be on almost year three it just shows a testament to the amount of work put into it and just the growth within that space as well thank you Um, so kind of switching gears and we're getting ready to like end off our interview there's a couple more questions um here's one that i'm i'm particularly excited to to ask and like hear what your experience has been on because i think a lot of people can relate to it so um as someone who you said that you're a young professional so you know, you have a nine to five and on a podcast. And I think just in general, you've, you've spoken about the struggles of finding the balance between both. What have you learned or learning from the experience and what do you want to get out of it? You know, and if there's a little piece of solace or something you want to give to other folks, what would that be just like, you know, in terms of advice? The biggest um, thing for me now at this place in my life is mm-hmm. that my job, my professional job, is my side gig, even if it's full time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That so my right. job where I go to work from nine to five is what supports my actual life and happiness, which is now my full time job. So mm-hmm. I will give my job as much as I can while I'm there, but I'm doing that job to fund my dreams and to fund my rest. So mm-hmm. once I started looking at things through that lens, and I'm good mm-hmm. at my job and I enjoy what I do as a career. But it's not paramount to the things that actually bring me joy. Mm-hmm. Being creative brings me joy. Writing brings me joy. Being able to not do shit, you know what I'm saying, on the weekends mm-hmm. brings me joy. So that is why my job exists. Right. And that's the only thing. So I'll say whatever your chosen field, if you're a creative, whatever your field is, and it's non-creative, mm-hmm. try to bring as much creativity into it as you can so you're happy while you're there. And then in the right. instance that you can't do that, That job, I don't care if you're there 60 hours a week, is your side job. Mm -hmm. Your main priority is your art and your happiness. And that should just be that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, kind of speaking on that first, thank you for that because, ooh, I need to hear that real quick too. (laughs) Um, You know, as I'm, you know, just also traversing that space, so I appreciate it. Um, The question I have, and I, I feel like it was touched on a little bit, and I'm just curious what your opinion is. You feel like that, for a lot of people that main nine to five that we have an issue 
of like kind of associating our values to that or like we like tie our identities to it and that's what the issue then becomes and it makes it difficult when you are trying to navigate both worlds like if you're a fireman it's like oh i'm joe the fireman but in reality joe you also can rap too or is it like what does that kind of look like i think that we get a lot of um we get a lot of self-esteem and self-worth from Mm -hmm. what we do for nine to nine to five but Mm -hmm. we don't feel that same self-worth when we're building a brand when we're building our presence or building our platforms Mm -hmm. so it's much more fun to say yeah, I'm the training director for the blah, blah, blah of the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, I have to Instacart every day because I'm trying to do comedy six nights a week. You feel like people don't look at you the same mm-hmm. and you feel like people don't take it as seriously. So I do think you wrap up a lot of your identity in your mm-hmm. corporate job or your nine to five job. Um, and I think that we need to start, and even myself, this is a word to myself. We need to start deciding where the honor is in things and where the respect is in things. Mm-hmm. Like you should not be ashamed to say, I'm doing gig work because I want to have mm-hmm. more time for my art. That's honorable, mm-hmm. but people don't it do is. it that way. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's important. It is fun to tell, you know, it's fun to have a stacked LinkedIn and a stacked resume. Mm-hmm. That's a, a bomb ass time and it gets you in certain rooms, but it does not help your creativity. So mm-hmm. I would say like, try not to wrap yourself up so much in that because that's ego like your art is mm-hmm. who you are but that shit is ego and that that that's and i'm giving that to myself too so mm-hmm. yeah right so anybody out there that heard that you know um go quit and do uber eats no i'm kidding no 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 that's not what i'm saying i'm playing i'm but don't assign your value to that um a saying that I've I've have to say to myself and I've said to my friends a lot is that if tomorrow you drop dead, your job won't be posted on LinkedIn, um, wherever glass door tomorrow, and you just gonna be gone. But they gonna continue. I've had somebody have a full nervous break under my my leadership mm-hmm. and my management, mm-hmm. and I've had to talk the rest of the leadership team down from posting their job before five p.m. Oh my god. That's what corporate life is. Mm-hmm. That is what that is. I've seen people get like announce a pregnancy at work and they still work there and the people put the job on on the internet. These people do not give a fuck about you. Working mm-hmm. on I, working in, on the management side has taught me so much. Maybe do your mm-hmm. art and do like give like 60 or 75% at work. Find the two most incompetent people at work and do a little better than them. That's the best I can find. <laughs> find the two dumb dumbs at work and just make sure you're better than them. And that's that's all you owe these people. <laughs> Writes it down. <laughs> I'm kidding. If any of you from the job is listening, I'm playing. I'm playing. I love you. I love you. Oh, and be a personality hire at work. When you're fun at work, people really don't care if you want to do your job or not because you bring joy to the office space. Be funny at work. Be lively at work. Be the bitch that brings the donuts. Turn the party up because honestly, you get more leeway with fucking up when you're a fun time. When you're a good time at work, people are like, I don't give a damn about that report. At least not right now because you're making me happy in this miserable ass space. Bless you. Oh, baby. Thank you. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it was all good. But thank you for that advice. And y'all listen to that, you know, 
gotta finesse. It's about the finesse because they gonna finesse you too. Mm-hmm. All right. So one thing you kind of touched on is what you touched on rest. And so what does rest look like for you as a creative and how do you refill your creative cup when exhaustion or creator's block comes in? I can only imagine as a comedian, that's hard because you're constantly feeling like you need to crank out material and you need to do this and you're constantly working on it. So how do you like kind of like figure that out? In space? Um, If I don't have nothing, I don't have nothing. You know, mm-hmm. I don't try to write every day. I keep a running note in my phone of like jokes mm-hmm. and it's been six or seven or eight months at a time that I've not put anything in there. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, nothing is supposed to be constant. Like we're not supposed to constantly be doing shit. I always think of like trees and how like mm-hmm. they die. You know what I'm saying? Like they, like right. bears hibernate, trees die. Like everything needs a second. And we're taught that we're supposed to produce, produce, produce. You're always mm-hmm. supposed to be doing something. You're always supposed to produce. And that's just not, it's not sustainable. It's not tangible. So if you have writer's block, you might not have writer's block. You might need some fucking sleep. You might need like to eat something. You might need to recharge. You might need to take a vacation. Every, you cannot produce constantly. Like Beyonce Mm -hmm. will do these tours and be on a fucking boat for eight months or some shit like that because she wants to. And because she knows, she said that she likes being on boats because that's the only way, like she has to physically detach from the world to not be working Mm -hmm. and to be able to sit down and focus on taking care of herself. That's real. So if you find that you, you've been writing every day for four months, five months, and all of a sudden you hit a wall, that might be God and your body telling you mm-hmm. to maybe you sit this one out for a little bit maybe you mm-hmm. fucking relax so yeah definitely thank you for that and i feel like it goes with i was saying that whatever what's meant for you is meant for you you know you taking out that little bit of a break is not going to be the difference between you taking off or not taking off or if you do take off sooner because you didn't rest you may not be ready for it because you didn't do what you needed to do to get that rest so mm-hmm. You know, definitely thank you for that and sharing that, you know, <clears throat> and I feel like, you know, whoever's listening, who's a creative, please definitely get your rest. You know, you are not your best when you aren't rested. And we've seen so many cases of that. Um, so we're getting ready to close up. And I love this question. It's a it's a really good question to kind of wrap the bowl up outside of like um, this, the final, final question is, what do you want your ultimate impact to be with your work? And that you leave behind. How do you envision your legacy? So after you've left this earth, you know, your legacies happen, you, you know, all these different things, they, they dim the lights at the Apollo or whatever, and all that stuff for you, and everything is said, um, what do you want that to be? What do you want people to be left with about Tally? I want, I want for people to be able to say that not only did I do my best, but I did my best with kindness and I did my mm-hmm. best with integrity I want people to listen to my work or look at my work. I want to be able to say the things, whether it's I'm angry or whether it's I'm sad or whether it's I'm feeling schmooicidal or whatever. I want to talk about the things that people are afraid to share. And I want people to be like, oh, I'm not the only person. I want people to feel empowered. Um, So I talk about things that I want to keep inside. You know, I may not, I did a TikTok where I was talking about my problem with alcohol. I don't want to say that shit. But I know it's somebody somewhere that has the same problem with alcohol that I do that needs to Mm -hmm. say it, that needs to hear that they're not alone and that somebody else is going through the same thing. Same thing with my parents, all these things. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about it because I spent um, and I'm I'm going to get emotional, but I I've spent a lot of parts of my life feeling like I was the only person 
going through the things I was going through. I was very alone for a long time and it's a miserable feeling. So I want, if nobody else in your life knows what you're going through or nobody else in your life can identify with the things that I say, I hope it's some 16 year old girl somewhere who is listening that like, there's nothing wrong with the way that I am and I'm going to be okay. That's what I want for my legacy, for people to feel loved and connected with. That's what I want. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate you for being, you know, so transparent and just like in being a fan of yours, like the transparency that you have, that empowers me. And I feel like empowers so many people because it's like, People need to hear your story. Your story and your struggles are not just for you. It's a testimony for other people, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and so... I'm crying like a little bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Christ, this guy stinks. <laughs> it's okay. Oh. Woo. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> Got you. And I'm going to end off on uh, another question before we, like, do your plugs and stuff like that. Is there any, if there's one piece of advice that you can give to any creative who wants to start and needs that push, somebody who hasn't written up, taken that joke book and hasn't written joke yet, somebody who wants to start that podcast, but they too busy, stuck in limbo, what would it be? It's going to be ass when you start. The, the joke, the poem, the, I don't fucking know, the company, the, mm. the song, it's going to eat dick when you try to do it. It's going to be fucked up. But that's how you start. It's going to be ass. My first set, I don't know why those people thought that was funny. I went back and read those jokes. Assive, massive. You have to write shit. You have to produce shit to get good. You are not going to start off just fucking fabulous. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. You might, hold on. Hey, 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 son. Hey, go sit down. You're not going to just start out good. And people kind of get like analysis paralysis. And most people, especially you Mm -hmm. motherfuckers that was in the gifted program and the talented program and people convince you, oh, you can read seven books a day. That means you're Mm -hmm. perfect at everything. And now you've overwhelmed yourself because you've grown Mm -hmm. up and things have gotten difficult and you feel like if Mm -hmm. you don't do it perfect or you don't get an A plus, then it's not worth producing. And that's not real. That's not real. So do make it shit. Write the shit. Put the shit online. Let people tell you it's not funny. Do it. Because otherwise, you're never going to start. It's just never going to happen. Definitely. Thank you so much. And I feel like that's a perfect point to end at. Um, at this point in time, as always, I want to give the, the guests the time to like plug any projects, shows, social media, anything that you want people to see, all of the things. Where can we find you, Tally, and what are you working on? Okay, so what I'm working on right now, I've kind of stepped away from the stage space and I've kind of gotten more into TikTok. I built my platform from like 5,000 to like 119,000 in less than a year. It was really in like nine months. So baby, that TikTok, mama's trying to quit her job. I'm trying to not work. I want the brand deals. If you're a brand influencer, give me some money. I'm hilarious. Please. Mm-hmm. Also, jokes on you, Pod. We are looking for, you know, we're starting ad space. So if you need an ad, let us know. If you are somebody listening, did you see that story where that boy had the YouTube and he only had like five subscribers? And turns out Oprah was listening. And now he has a show on the own network. He said he got just set a couple hundred views each time he posted. And one of them motherfuckers was Oprah. Ain't that crazy? Right. <laughs> so, Oprah 
and or Beyonce and or Steve Harvey or Monique. I'm sorry for those things that I said about you. If you have to- She didn't mean it. She didn't mean it. I meant it, but we can talk about it. So, Fair. if anybody's listening to my things, <laughs> please hit me up. Please, I hate working so much. <laughs> fucking team. Oh. It's so ah, I'm sorry. Yes, I don't want to work. That's my manifestation for the next six months. I'm going to be, and not in the way I want to be, not without money, but I just want right. to have money and not work. There it is. Right, there you, know, you go. God be petty sometimes. And be like, okay, I got some not Super working petty. Ass. <laughs> I, want to, I want to work. And I, I, I have a job interview tomorrow, so I hope he's not going to ruin it. <laughs> You're going to be looking like, mm. I'm like, mm, I know this ain't who I think it is. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, Lord, if you can just give me this job. <laughs> yeah, when, we, when we log off, I'm actually going to like light my Jesus candle and like rephrase <laughs> what I meant. Because I just meant <laughs> that I want to work now, but in the future, maybe not right. so much. You know what I'm saying? I still want the job that I'm playing for. So there's definitely, that. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, I thank you so much for this time. I appreciate it. I hope that, you know, all of the, you know, the listeners, I hope you enjoy it. Please follow Tally. All of her, like, links and TikToks and stuff like that will be in the show notes and everything like that. And as always, stay awkward until next time. Okay, bye. bye. Stay awkward. Yay. <laughs> As you can see, we're at the end of our episode. As always, like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Until next time, stay awkward. Peace.